a lot of Saturday afternoons in Oklahoma. I am with you in prayer when you worship here in Australia. We have such uh, respect and regard uh, for your faith and faithfulness uh, in living in a culture that's not really conducive or encouraging a lot of aspects of Christianity and for your faith and faithfulness. Uh, you guys are some of our spiritual heroes and uh, we really appreciate uh, your faith. One of the things we talked about yesterday is that when you look at the, the great men of faith in the book of Genesis, one of the threads that begins with Enoch and runs through is that uh, these wonderful men walked with God. And it's just hard for us to imagine. Um, we, we get tired going into our 90s. It's hard to imagine living 800 years. I mean, I just, I've tried to think about that and just kind of give up after a while and think, you know, we're, I'm kind of glad where we are. But Enoch walked with God and he was not before God took him. When the very imagination of men's hearts was only evil continually, Noah was a righteous man and Noah walked with God. God calls Abraham at 75 to a land that I will show you. And ladies, uh, Sarah had lived in Ur the Chaldees, one of the great cities of ancient civilization. And she goes with her husband to live in wall-to-wall tent. I have some female friends that the best part of camping, they say, is coming home. But can you imagine having left this civilized city, running water and all this other stuff, and your husband says, sweetheart, we're going to go to a land. We don't know where we're going, but God has called us to a land that he will show us. And Sarah then comes with Abraham, and they live the rest of their lives in a tent. God says to Abraham, I want you to walk the length and the breadth of this land. And someday I will give this to you. And one of the amazing things that we learn about God, and again, we've talked about this. This is a review for some things from yesterday, is that Abraham is as far before the cross as we are after the cross. So when you hear Paul say, if any man is in Christ, he is Abraham's seed an heir according to the promise, then we are the promise 2,000 years after the cross. And so we are the recipients of a 4,000-year-old promise when we come into Christ. Walk the length and the breadth of this land. God doesn't completely give it to them until David, and David is a 1,000. So when we pray to God, the answer to prayers may well be past even our lifetime. But since God is God, that's okay. We can trust in him to do that. Isaac will talk about he walked with God. Jacob then will mention my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. They walked with God. And this is hard to do and review. But one of the things that we talked about yesterday is that I read an article a few years ago and the lady talked about as we get older, 
uh, before we exercise, we need to warm up and we need to stretch. And she just referred to that as her spiritual stretches. And when I read this, the thing that I identified with so much was that just like what we finished a while ago, uh, God has given us the bread and the fruit of the vine to give us a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. How often did one of the patriarchs stop and build an altar and from the physical altar they worship the spiritual God? Uh, I want you to carry 12 stones out of the Jordan River and carry them over to the other side. Uh, here's a rock called Ebenezer. God is my help. And how often did God at different times provide a physical reminder of a spiritual reality? And for those that had uh, the outline from yesterday, this was on page 12. And I'll try to do this quickly, but also slowly enough just for those who are, are just. No, that's not true. It's on page five. But this lady said, she said, I start my day trying to live within the presence of God. And I used the expression yesterday when I think of the Trinity, and this is just personal with me. I think of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And I just think of this harmony of a spirit and union that's existed from the beginning. And the lady said, when I start my day, I just acknowledge the presence of God. Call upon God as our creator and as our father. And then when I do that, to start with just thinking about our father, I just always think it's it's his work and his plan, and he holds and brings things together. Then she put her fingers in her palms to remind her of the cross. And to think about, as she started her day, what are the blessings that we have, and even in our prayers today about the Lord's Supper, the blessings that all of us have because uh, the Lamb of God died to take away the sin of the world. Then Jesus is said in Colossians again to hold all things together. And then she thinks of something for the spirit. And I like to do something that's not too, uh, I don't know what the word is, too outlandish, exuberant. But the last verse in Second Corinthians, Paul has three words that describe the Trinity. And he says, may the love of God, the grace of Christ, and I think of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And when you read Galatians 5, yes, we're not to be drunk with wine, but we're to be filled with the Spirit. That's in Ephesians. And then in Galatians, we are called to walk by the Spirit. We're called to keep in step with the Spirit. We're called to live with and by the Spirit. And so at the beginning of the day, and I oftentimes do this at different times, especially just walking around, I just kind of go through this mental exercise of thinking, I want to acknowledge God as my Heavenly Father. I want to be appreciative of the sacrifice that has come from His Son. And then the fellowship, because Paul's going to say in Ephesians 1, that we are both sealed, which is that sign of authenticity, we are sealed by the Spirit, and the Spirit is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. <clears throat> but the other thing I oftentimes think about, and um, just kind of stepping outside this morning, listening to the fellowship that took place, uh, reminds me of the blessing of being able to take a hot shower on a cold day. Just the warmth of people talking and checking on each other and hugging each other and how are you doing? 
And you think, isn't it wonderful when Christians can get together and share in a fellowship? God chose us, so he selected us. This is Ephesians 1. Christ saved us. He's redeemed us. And the Spirit has sealed us. And so the fellowship that we physically have today is because of the harmony and the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And both in personal life and in teaching, probably in the last 20 years, this has been one of those anchor passages and thoughts that's come back to mind. Uh, Father, help me to walk as Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Walk in your presence, walk with you. And then from our New Testament, you think, oh, walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk in love. There's all these verses that that kind of use the metaphor of our feet to talk about our spiritual journey. And so oftentimes, sometimes even before I get out of bed, I, I stop and do this. But through the day, that's just a kind of a constant reminder. A lot of times be, before I give a lesson, just sitting there, I just stop and think, Father, Son, Fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and may our lessons, our presence, our walk, and our fellowship uh, be within harmony, within, you want to call it the Godhead or the Trinity, whichever ones of those you want to call it. The next thing is just ask God to lead us. And you think all of us need God's presence. Paul is going to use the expression that we would be praying for open doors. And God is always doing things in other people's lives that we're not even aware of. And Paul said, you know, pray for open doors that I may be able to speak the gospel. But you think how appropriate is it for us, especially at the start of the day, to ask for the Father to lead us. And then this to me is our daily food, like bread, and be thankful for our physical blessings. I have a couple of friends, and I know Ray Walker's in this same position, uh, <clears throat> who through the years have made a number of trips to Ukraine. And we don't even know where some of our, our brothers and sisters are, literally. And uh, it, it's hard to look at bombed out buildings and everything else and just wonder, were they able to worship? Do they know where each other are? Where's our church family? And being able to come and not be persecuted, not being harassed. Um, some of our closest friends work with the Baxter Institute in Honduras. And Cuba will allow Cubans to come to Honduras that they would never let come to the States. So there are, are three teams. The third one's getting ready to go back to Cuba. And Norman Denise have made a trip to Cuba. But every church service, there is an observer, a visitor. And you can't build a building now, but you can kind of do a veranda on the back of your house and on and on it goes. There are certain limitations, but then you have to let the government know when your services are, and there will just there will always be a visitor at your services. Isn't it wonderful that we can gather peaceably and the blessing of our daily food and our peace and things? And then I just think of the word of God and ask for God's word to come into our heart and our lives. <clears throat> and what did Jesus tell Satan? Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
and ask that that word would continue to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. The next thing I think about is the first and greatest commandment. And our youngest grandchild is five. Our oldest will be in second year of university. And uh, as I talk with my grandchildren, I tell them we want to love God with our heart. And then I do this for our soul in that we live, we breathe, okay? Love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. And what did Jesus say? Oh, this is the first and the great commandment. And so in doing these spiritual stretches to get into the day and to try to, to, to walk and live with God, then I think if Jesus says this is the first and the great commandment at different times of the day, I can just quietly do this, 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 and this, and to remind myself today I want to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I oftentimes tell parents, we mentioned this yesterday, especially with our little ones, uh, from day one, uh, we want to win their heart for God. Because you stop and think about it, if, it doesn't matter, teenager, adult, if God loses your spiritual heart, he loses all of you. And what a wonderful thing to stop and think today. I have the opportunity and the blessing to seek to love God with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, and with my strength. Two more. One of the words for worship in the New Testament Proskino has to do with the bending of the knee and just thank God for the privilege of being able to worship him just within myself, the blessing of us worshiping together. We'll talk something about Psalms here in a little bit, but this is something that is just sticks in my mind. The very last verse of the hymn book of Israel, the last verse says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. And Martin, while I'm here, I listen to the kookaburras, listen to the magpies. Um, what's the bird that kind of goes, like, you know, we hadn't been here about two or three weeks. And Sheila said, someone has left a baby on our front door. <laughs> yeah. And it just, but you listen when you hear that sometimes. And, you know, you know, we're just trying to get adjusted and everything else. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And it sounded, this one just sounded like a crying baby. Of course, we were not accustomed to that sound. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be a shame if a kookaburra or a magpie did a better job of praising God today in song than we do in our hearts as his sons and daughters? And I think about that. Jesus said, behold, the birds of the air. They don't harvest, they don't gather things together, and yet your Father cares for them. And the last book of Psalms, and I oftentimes at a camp, I will remind people, in every part of the world, there's a symphony of sounds. Everything from the cows, the cows remind me of cellos, and just all everything that breathes makes and utters some type of noise. And the last verse of the hymn book, of Israel in the early church says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord and oftentimes touch my knee and ask and be thankful for the privilege of worship. The bottom is our feet. 
God, please help me to walk in the way I should go and help me not to walk in places I shouldn't go. Now, we'll just do one last thing on this and move on. I mentioned yesterday, sometimes I do this whole rotation in song and think of a song about God as my father. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, Christ, there was one who was willing to die in my stead. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. He leadeth me. Oh, you see what I'm saying? And I go through and do the same thing sometimes in song and sometimes just in terms of thanksgiving. And there's a children's song we sang in VBS that said, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Anyone know the song? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. And Michael, I oftentimes wonder as adults, how much trouble do we get into or out of depending upon where our little feet go? And so that's just something that has just become a part of routine in terms of spirituality and thinking about things. And just give that for you to consider. Everything different people will react to in different ways. But there's that sense, the song about whisper prayer in the morning to keep our heart in tune. And having something that's physical that reminds me of spiritual realities has been a really helpful thing. Those who have outlines, we're going to finish some things on 17. This is from yesterday. We won't repeat a lot of stuff, but some of the application will be. There's a couple of verses that I want us just to think about. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 35. And as Steve talked with me and others just mentioned what you have been doing through the year, uh, the significance of trying to reach out and evangelize is just such an important part of, of who God designed us and the church to be. And it's always a continuing challenge. And in Matthew 9, uh, Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, and, it, and three things are happening. One, he is teaching in the synagogues. Two, preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And three, healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And there are a couple of examples, but one of those in the Old Testament is that if Israel's king or their general has been killed, then the soldiers are described as sheep without a shepherd. And this term compassion, there's a whole lesson here, but just in a couple of of sentences, Compassion is an emotion that compels us to do something. The priest and the Levite walked down the same road and saw the same man, but nothing happened. And then what did the Samaritan do? The Samaritan came along and he had compassion on him. And seeing the state of the man, the compassion compelled him to do something. And so Jesus is compelled to teach something, having seen they're like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what he says. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, when we lived in 
Sydney at least 12 times we came up and did a, a retreat with Holland Park. And most of the time we came up New England and then went back Pacific. And uh, it was always such an adventure to try to pass these trucks going up the hills on the New England Highway and then try not to get run over by them when you're going down the hill. It was like being in a Grand Prix, just just going between town to town. And then I loved going through the national parks on the two-lane roads. And so coming up on four lanes, it was like, this is nice. But I miss being that close to the getting killed by all the trees by the side of the road on the <laughs> on the Pacific Highway. But... You know, and our kids are small. How many towns do you go through between here and Sydney that don't have a New Testament Church of Christ in them? And so whether it was Lismore or Tamworth or Armadale, then just quietly would just pray, by the grace of God, I wonder where the Lord's Church will someday meet in this city. And to date, Marvin and Jenny are an answer to that specific prayer and what a blessing to have churches along the way and again because God is God we can pray for things that may never happen in our lifetimes but just because it's not done by the time we're through doesn't mean that God still may not answer that prayer in his own time and in his own way so pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest isn't that a wonderful expression that he will send out workers into the harvest field. Living in Oklahoma, we're out in the prairie. Uh, the people on either coast refer to us as fly over country because there's nothing to see or do as far as Californians and New Yorkers are concerned. And we kind of feel the same way about them, but that's just a, a reverse type thing. But in late April, the wheat harvest will begin down in Texas and will end in Canada. So just just imagine trucks, combines, cutting wheat, and they literally start way down in Texas. And some of these guys annually will cut all the way into Canada. Well, my dad always had 300 acres of wheat. And when the harvest is ready to come... You're always looking to the southwest because we could get hail or even rain and ruin our wheat crop. And we didn't go fishing. Nothing else happened. Everything was put on hold until the harvest is done. And this is one of those interesting intersections with the Old Testament. There were three major feasts in the Old Testament. You'll read. Okay. Sorry. I do this for small children. The three major feasts in the Old Testament are in the second And the third book of the Old Testament in chapter 23. So in chapter 23 of Exodus and 23 of Leviticus, you will have the three feasts. And the first feast is the feast of Passover and the barley harvest has finished. And so if we're up in Galilee, then we get the barley harvest in. And then, guys, we make the journey down to Jerusalem and we're there for the Passover. Pentecost, 50 days later, we go back home. And while we're gone, the wheat harvest has ripened. And we now work in the fields. And after we have completed the wheat harvest, then we go down and we take sheaves of wheat with us for the Pentecost, the feast of the harvest. And isn't it interesting 
the first spiritual harvest of souls in the book of Acts and Acts 2 is parallel with the ripening of the wheat harvest. And as these guys have come to Jerusalem, like I said, they've finished the harvest. And for us, it was always kind of like, you know, once we get all the crop in and everything else, then we would go back home and then we'd have the summer and then all the fall crops and the fruit and, the, and everything of the vines would be harvested. And then we would go back for the Feast of Booths and Tabernacles. So all of the major feasts in the Old Testament revolved around the harvest season. And the Lord of Harvest then had the Jewish people observe these three annual feasts, but they were always kind of at the end of harvest seasons physically. And then that's what I say. On the day of Pentecost, there were gathered in Jerusalem men from every nation under heaven. And there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind. And all the things that begin to happen in Acts 2. And when I read this, and I oftentimes think, and the spiritual harvest of humanity in the Lord's church began after they had finished the physical harvest of the wheat crop that year. So those are things I think of when I read, pray to the Lord of harvest and the Father who provides our daily food, who provides things to eat in the harvest around us then wants us then to pray spiritually for workers to go out into the harvest field. There's another passage that is very significant, and this is John chapter 4. The Samaritans are coming out, and Jesus says, you know, lift up your eyes. And some translations will say, the fields are white unto harvest. And this is something that's very significant, and I want to keep encouraging you to be praying for the harvest and looking at that opportunity. But what did Paul say? I planted, Paulus watered, God gave the growth. And we mentioned this yesterday, but it's so important. We need to speak and we need to invite. And when we were at Campbelltown, we really worked at having visitors' days. Uh, if we had kids in sports or whatever else, uh, we worked and worked. But just one true story, I'll just go on to our next point. One of the smoothest invitations I've ever seen is our sister Betty Kazee, Tony and Betty, were with us five years. And uh, Glennis, the Avon lady, knocked on the door. And uh, if you knew Betty, you know, come on in, let's have a cup of tea and on and on. Well, Glennis was from England. I don't know if we can still use the word palm or not in, in polite society, but uh, she was from England. And then here's Betty from America. And I'm sorry, where we're from it's virtually an insult to be called a Yankee because that's people who live further north. And I wanted to give a geography lesson so bad sometimes. I think, no, that's okay. That's okay. And so they're visiting, and, and uh, Glennis says, well, I'm a palm and you're a Yankee, and we both could use friends. Could we be friends? And after the second cup of tea, then Glennis said, well, since your husband's a preacher, I would still like, as long as you don't mention God, then I'd like for us to be friends. Betty just Nodded, she didn't say anything. About six months later, we're having a visitor's day, and isn't this just as smooth as silk? They're having a cup of tea, and Betty says, well, Glennis, I need to just say something to you. We've really become good friends. And Glennis said yes, and she said, well, we're having a friend's day at church, and I was afraid, since you're my friend, if you found out we had a friend's day and I didn't invite you, you might have your feelings hurt. Michael, did she mention God? 
No, she didn't mention God. Uh, we're having a friend's day, and weren't they wonderful, Martin? We really worked and worked at that, and uh, our kids were small, and people were always amazed at the Hartman kids' self-control because you don't know how many's going to come, and there's enough food. Well, bribery and corruption get you a long ways. Now, kids, if you'll wait to the end, if we run out of food, we will stop at McDonald's on the way home. <laughs> so our small kids would stand aside and let all the visitors eat and everything. They're always amazed at how these kids, you know, they're they're so they're so polite and so well organized. And <laughs> and a few times we got to stop at McDonald's on the way home. But we want to make sure all of our visitors. But remember, it was just fabulous. Anyway, Glennis was busy and she couldn't come. So about three months later, they had another one, and Betty says, Glennis, you know, I invite you to Visitor's Day. She came. The third Visitor's Day, Glennis came and brought 14 friends. Pray to the Lord of harvest. Send forth reapers, one plants, another waters. God gives the increase. Kent studied with Dave twice, and Kent was afraid Dave was going to turn the table over and break his nose. Dave just got belligerent. And if you know my brother Kent, he said, Lord, I've done my part. I don't want to have my face rearranged. I don't want to have my nose broken. I've tried to talk to this guy twice, and (laughs) I've done my part. They moved to England, I don't know, 10 or 15 years later, Dave is baptized. Those wussy denominations, they don't believe anything. They're just so soft, and he just goes on and on. And so he's now as as keen of a member of the church as he was before. And five or six years ago, Tony and Betty got a call, and they said, we're about to have our 50th wedding anniversary. And our dearest friends are in Oklahoma, so if we fly to Oklahoma, could we celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary together? And how did that all start? The Avon lady. What a great contact. And Debbie Powell converted another Avon lady. Be looking all the time for the doors to be open. I want to mention one thing. We won't list all the verses, but just notice this. In the book of Acts, there are six different sections of growth. And the church will start in Jerusalem. Then it's going to go to Palestine and Samaria. Then it's going to go up to Antioch. And then the church is going to go into Asia Minor, into Turkey, Macedonian call. It's going to go into Europe, and then the church is going to end up in Rome. And here's what's significant. When you look at the book of Acts and you see these six different growth periods, every time before the church grows, Christians have been praying. And so those of you who had the outline, I'll refer that to you to look at later. And I put these in italics, and it's very clear. The church grew, the church was strengthened, and Luke gives us six different places and opportunities for the church to grow. But what's significant to me and for us to be thinking about every time preceding the growth of the church, then godly people were praying. I'd like to do two things, and then we'll finish up. I talked about spiritually and in prayer, both in reading, the two things that have been the most helpful to re- retain kind of spiritual equilibrium and just hold on is I have oftentimes read five chapters of Psalms and one chapter of Proverbs a day. And in my Bible, I have, you know, on chapter 50, okay, that's going to be 
day 10. And it's really easy. You just multiply times 5 and end on that. And all but 11 of the Psalms in one of the first two verses refer to something to God. And so I oftentimes read through the Psalms. And I typically do this every January and then four or five times through the year. And as I go through the month, uh, five times 30 is 150. If there's 30 days, I read ahead in Psalm 119 and then read one chapter from Proverbs. I have no idea what's today, date-wise. Pardon? Ten? So you would read Proverbs 10 and finished at Psalms 50. So you read 46 through 50. And if you've never done that, I would just encourage you to do that and have that as something to do because love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and read through the hymn book of Israel in the early church. And then there's a whole lot we need to always maintain about the importance of wisdom. The last thing I'd like to do today, and this is very, very personal. Um, we, we left our house in Woodbine on the 15th of December, 1990. And I think it was October. We went over to Waringa because I wanted to visit uh, Nana Shepherd. And Nana Shepherd was 90 years old. So she had been born in, in 1900. And the blessing of that was that I think she died like in February. So I just told Shannon, we took, we took our three kids, and our kids were like 12 and uh, 10 and 8. And I just said, this is such a wonderful, wonderful lady. I want you to, to go meet her. And she was in a, a nursing facility. And I said, I've heard part of your story, but I, I want to, to get it right and to hear it from you. And she said, well, when I was 12 years old, okay, 1912, when I was 12 years old, mom and aunt and I were on a train, and a gentleman gave us a tract. And as far as we can tell, it may have been Brother McGregor, who was at Maryland's, and they live out kind of Windsor Courage on, so they were way, way out in terms of, of a train ride. But anyway, I don't know if they're Methodist or Presbyterian, but they've been sprinkled, and they get this tract. And they go home, and over a period of time, the three of them sit around the table and read Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, Mark 16.15.16. 16, and the three of them come to the conclusion, we need to be immersed as believers for forgiveness of sins. And they had never heard of that before they got the tract. So she told me, the first three people we talked to have wanted to sprinkle us, but they didn't want to immerse us. And we said, no, we want to be. So they had to talk to four people before they could find someone who would immerse them. And then this is what she said word for word. I was 12 years old, and the tract didn't tell us what we're supposed to do next. So I felt like what I need to do is go out to the orange orchard at Kurajong behind my house and start praying that God would send someone to tell us what to do. 1912. She continues to pray. She gets married. She has children. And she said, in answer to my prayers, John Allen Hudson got off of the steamship in 1937. Okay, Mr. Banker, 
subtract 1912 from 1937, and we have what? <laughs> That's why he's a good, good guy with figures. 25 years. No youth group. No church. No Sunday fellowship. And I'm sitting here thinking, a lot of people have started praying about something, but would I still be praying 25 years later if God hadn't answered tomorrow what I had prayed for? And she said with a smile on her face, she said, he stayed with us for a week and the poor man hardly got any sleep at all. But by the time he left, we were starting the church in our living room and then we started the church and we finally knew what to do. And then she said, and I continued to pray the prayer. And when Colin Smith and Alan Flaxman came back from Abilene, I felt like they answered my prayer. And she went through the list when Coy Roper came and David Roper came. And then I was just floored. She said, and young man, in answer to my prayer, you came to Australia for the first time in 1974 with your brother Kent. And then she said, Kent and Nancy came back in 1976. And she said, in answer to my prayer, then Sheila came with you in 1977. And then you and Sheila and Luke came to live here in 1979. And I was floored. I had no idea. Michael, she listed every time I had set foot on Australian soil. And I had no idea. In answer to my prayer. That is such, to me, a vital part of the heritage of our restoration movement. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that tradition continued on through this century? That just because God doesn't answer a prayer today, we continue to be faithful and continue to do that. She was tired. And she said, you know, would you mind tucking me in bed, which was obviously an honor. And and, uh, we had a prayer with her. And just before we left... With fire in her eyes, she said, no one will ever convince me that God doesn't answer prayer. Pray to the Lord of harvest in his own time, in his own way, that he may send forth workers into the field. Qantas is now flying nonstop out of Dallas. United out of Houston, and the first advertisement said, only 17 hours to Australia. (laughs) And it was like, get out of the way, let me on, you know. And uh, as we get older, at least we prefer to walk around a couple hours in Houston and walk around a couple of hours in Los Angeles. But when you look at a map, there's not a lot of places to stop if something goes wrong. And yet we're just so profoundly grateful. And so I can't tell you, I don't know, 20, 25 years. It's typically 14 hours from the West Coast. But when we finally touch down, I do three things. One, thank you, thank you to be on the ground, literally. And thank you for letting us come back uh, to our adopted home. Two, I'm a visitor here. And the people in the church are the experts in living holy and godly lives in a difficult culture. And please help me to be an encouragement and a strength to them. And number three, 
May I please continue to be the answer of a prayer of a 12-year-old little girl. Uh, Kit and I both love the farm. Uh, we were the fourth generation. Our family came to Indian Territory. And we've often wondered, uh, how did two guys who grew up milking cows by hand and working on a farm end up living in Sydney, Australia? And at least one of the things I think about is that 40 years before I drew my first breath, a godly 12-year-old little girl had started praying, God, please send people to Australia to help us to know what to do. One of my favorite teachers when I was in school And, of course, we're 22, 23. Martin, he was really old. He was 72. And uh, W.B. West and his head shook a little bit. And his best friend was 92. So if you had a class with Brother West, he would always bring, his name was E.H. Imes and was just a a spiritual giant. And and what a privilege to have a class with a 72-year-old and a 92-year-old man at different times. But Brother West would talk to us, and one of the things that he mentioned, he said, young men, he said, never get discouraged at what is visible today to the eye. And he said there was a church in Tennessee that had a two-week meeting. So they had brought in a song leader, and they had brought in a preacher, and they had gone Sunday to Sunday every night for two weeks. And when the report was written up, and ladies don't get offended, when the report was written up, the guy lamented that only a skinny, knock-kneed 12-year-old girl had been baptized. And they were hoping that, you know, a group of people and on and on. And, you know, the guy sent in the report, but you can kind of tell, it's kind of, you know, okay, we've done all this, and we had these two guys came in, and we met for two weeks, and we preached, and we did everything else. And only, bless her heart, I hope she grew up to be beautiful, but at, at 12 years old, she was described as a skinny, knock-kneed, 12-year-old little girl was baptized. Brother Wes says, as time went by, she got married, and she had five sons. And through her influence, every one of her sons became a gospel preacher. And Brother West said, only heaven will know how successful that meeting actually was. And see, that's why we continue to pray. And if God doesn't answer today, that's fine. He's God. But we want to continue to be faithful. Pray to the Lord of Harvest to send forth workers in his field. And let's continue to pray for things that we may never see and never be a part of. My grandfather was an elder in the church, and he had bought several farms through the Dust Bowl and stuff. And a lot of times he would pick the the nicest walnuts that he could find. And with his heel or a small shovel, uh, he would dig a small hole and put them in the ground, and I've been with him a lot of times, and he says, well, maybe my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren will be able to enjoy the pecans from this seed. 
And I grew up with an expression that says, and I'm sorry, this sounds a little bit crude, but any idiot can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. Father, what a profound privilege, Um, in spite of our sin and shortcoming and our humanity, that um, the Lamb of God died to take away each of our sins. And, Father, we can never repay the, the, the privilege of having our sins washed away and the privilege that, of all things, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And, Father, we will be profoundly grateful for that privilege. Help us to be faithful in this life. Help us to be prayerful. Help us to be faithful in little things. And, Father, help each of us realize that uh, each of us are traveling. We're sojourners. Uh, We're passing through. And every time one of our faithful brothers and sisters goes to their reward... Uh, We have one more good reason to be faithful ourselves, and we pray that each of us uh, someday will hear, well done, a good and faithful servant. And Father, while we're here, help us to be about the harvest, and for the privilege that we have of eternal life, uh, we also are like lighthouses on the coast, we're few and far between. And darkness is all around us, and we pray that you'd help us to call people out of the darkness into the light. And today, as we conclude this part of our worship, uh, we're just uh, profoundly grateful for the privilege of citizenship. And again, I love the expression that we are the sons and the daughters of God. And it's such a joy to be together, and it's a privilege to be able to come into your presence We're grateful for your son, who is our advocate and intercedes for us. And we're grateful for your spirit that is a seal and a deposit that intercedes for us. And for those heavenly blessings, we're grateful while we're walking here on the earth. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.